Hello, and welcome to Reread, Rewrite, Recommend, a podcast by Muskingum County Library System where we talk a little bit about libraries and a lot about books. I'm Sarah. I am the Outreach Assistant at MCLS. I am here every month, and I'm never alone, which makes things much more interesting. And I am here with a guest. And this month is super exciting. This is our first guest that is not with Muskingum County Library System. We're branching out, talking to other library professionals, which is hopefully what this podcast is going to be. I think it'll be kind of boring and echo chambery if we just talk to people who work with me. Although this person also has worked with me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, our guest this month is Catherine Simmons. She is the Community Engagement Coordinator at the Guernsey County Public Library. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Um, and I don't feel awkward at all about talking into a microphone <laughs> directly across from you. I'm excited to branch out and try up to record a podcast for the first time ever. So It's going to be great. It's great. And hopefully it'll be super natural because we kind of chat all the time. It'll we do. be fine. We do. We chat all the time. We'll forget about the microphones. Yes. So you also do outreach. They've obviously heard from me and we had Beth on a little while ago talking outreach as well. I think what's going to be fun here is that between the two of us, we've worked at three different outreach departments. Right. So why don't we compare and contrast some of how outreach works in different counties? Yeah, we can start probably by talking about Tuscarawas County, where you and I worked. Mm -hmm. We there did school deliveries to I think every school within our service district. Yeah. And it was super fun because we carried all <laughs> of the books in milk crates yes. that we would stack up four or five high and then load onto a cart and take up an elevator and then wheel through a garage and load into the back of a cargo van. You could only put them so high though or they'd topple in or the back all, of the van. They'd all fall <laughs> over and that happened. A lot. Uh, a lot. <laughs> before and we learned. Before we knew. Yes. Many of the schools in the Tuscarawas County service area didn't have an elevator, so we were <laughs> lugging mm -hmm. crates up and down yeah. stairs multiple times a week. It was pretty intense, really. And that's the only library that we've worked at that does that sort of book into classroom at that level. Correct. Um, we don't do anything like that here at Guernsey County. Granted, this outreach department is brand new, and it just started in 2020. Oh, okay. covid changes everything oh gosh yeah so it's not unclear what this will look like going forward that's kind of interesting because when you got hired on at tusk that was also a newly forming outreach department it was and when i got hired in at muskingum that was a newly forming outreach department yeah i think um libraries are recognizing that traditional services are probably not going to be what maintains libraries and their relevance in our communities long term print media is becoming less popular and we're recognizing recognizing that we need to go to people because people aren't coming to us as often. It also makes services more equitable. It does. In outreach departments, you're serving populations of people who've gone ignored by libraries and by society in a larger way. Mm -hmm. So if that's really great, it's nice to know that you're doing something important. Definitely. And then also at Tuscarawas County, older adult services were becoming increasingly popular and important with deliveries to older adults in nursing homes and in their own homes and in senior living apartment complexes. Now, that's something that you guys are focused on heavily at Muskegon mm -hmm. County as that's well, That's right? the entirety of my job. We're currently, as of this episode going up, we're currently hiring for someone to do schools and preschools. Our department kind of splits those into two jobs. I was lucky and got to choose, and I chose senior services, not yes. a child person. Senior services are really fun. They are. So at Muskingum, they have um, classroom collections where a teacher can call in and request books, but nothing on the scale that they are doing at Tusk, which is a little different than classroom collections, I would say. It is. Because Tusk did classroom collections, they did do, too. They do classroom collections as well, that that was managed by the children's department. Yeah. Where a teacher can call in and request books on a certain topic to supplement their current classroom collection and just provide a bigger variety of books in their classroom on whatever they're teaching. Whereas the crate service, 
was like 25 random books kind of, of reading of a certain reading level yeah we've generally tried to keep a ar reading level mm-hmm. books together yeah and that was more for like kids reading in their spare time or classroom downtime just to kind of supplement where a school library might not have as much correct and yeah many schools are moving away from having libraries in their schools altogether yeah it's kind of an upsetting trend it is an upsetting trend and but it is it is nice that our public library libraries are filling that void for our students, making sure that they have access to books. Mm-hmm. We also very interested in partnering with school libraries. Yes, absolutely. always great to see. Yes, absolutely, because there is so much that the public library has to offer our students by way of, um, you know, additional resources, digital resources, database resources, and all of those things that maybe school libraries uh, may not have access to all of the time. We have those things here at the public library, and we also have staff that are able and willing to help teachers and students uh, navigate those resources mm-hmm. and spend some time in classroom and try to help help students prepare for whatever comes next for them, be that college or job or career after high Definitely. school. So I think the biggest difference between Guernsey Outreach and the outreaches that I have worked for is that Guernsey County has a bookmobile. Yes, we do have a bookmobile. It's brand new. We got it in... June of 2020, which was a terrible time to get a bookmobile. Uh, It meant that the bookmobile sat for many months without getting used at all. And it's just recently started rolling out, you know, rolling across the county, it does. Rolling through the rolling hills. Rolling through the rolling <laughs> hills of Rolling Hills School District. Scenic, scenic Guernsey County. Of scenic Guernsey County. Yes, we are. We're doing a pretty limited rollout of our bookmobile at this point. It's kind of a one-woman show over here where I'm doing that and managing our public relations as a library. So in order to really gauge how much time this was going to take how much time we needed to dedicate to our bookmobile. It's been a limited rollout so far, but it's been met with a lot of success. Everybody's been really happy and excited to see the bookmobile back. I think we're kind of cashing in on some nostalgia Mm -hmm. where libraries haven't had bookmobiles in so long. That's true, yeah. And everybody's, I think, desperate for some nostalgia these days. I don't know if it's always been like that. And maybe it's just I'm noticing it more as I'm getting older that, like, everybody's, like, nostalgic for the 90s. That's true. I see a lot of that. Maybe it's always existed, but it was, like, my parents that were experiencing, like, nostalgia for the 70s and I didn't get it. Ellen, would you say Guernsey is a more rural county? Guernsey County is a more rural county, and when you compare the size of this of this service district to that of Tuscarawas County or Muskingum County, it's quite a bit smaller. So our service district here is the entire county. Yeah, that's um, the same in Muskingum. Right, yeah. and, and Tuscarawas, it's a little bit different, as you know, but yeah. our service population is just under 40,000 people, okay. whereas I believe Muskingum County is closer to 100. I think that makes sense. I think a lot of those people are in Zanesville, probably. Like, I, I believe Zanesville is classified as a small city. Does the bookmobile, you think, help reach some of those more rural populations? That's the goal. And I don't know how well we're serving those populations even still. But when you look at a map of our county and you don't at home listening to this, you don't need to look up a map of the county. But, <laughs> um, you know, Cambridge is sort of the west central part of the county. And we have two branches in Cambridge and one in Byesville, which is it's kind of, you know, butts right up against Cambridge. They're right together. So the entire rest of our county has no library locations close to it. Nothing. So there's a big swath of our county that's not being served by us at all in any sort of meaningful way because there's no locations close to them. And so if there's anybody that struggles to find transportation or anything like that, like we're just not serving those people um, with our current locations. So that's sort of the whole purpose of the bookmobile for us is to serve those areas that are being underserved at this point. We'd like to work with our schools, but like I said, it started in 2020 and that means that we were really limited in what we were able to do with an initial yeah, rollout. But we're getting there and hopefully um, we'll serve some of those groups that have, you know, been ignored for a long time. Yeah. I'm really excited to see how that ends up growing. Yeah, me too. I guess if anybody is listening from those areas in Guernsey County and they have any suggestions, definitely give a call. Yeah, absolutely. Please call or email in uh, with some suggestions. Uh, My email is katherine at gcdpl.org. If you want to email me, I would love to hear where might be a good place to go. We really want 
and I know this is true in Muskegon, and I'm sure it's also true in Guernsey. Like, we really want the library to be shaped by the community. Absolutely. That's so That's important. The That's the whole point. The, the whole reason that this place exists is to serve the community. Um, we are funded by taxpayer dollars. Mm-hmm. And so it's essential that you're allowing people to shape how their money is spent. It's a necessity, really. Definitely. All right, so I like to end these interview portions with the same two questions. Oh, gosh. So, Catherine, what is your favorite part of your job and what is your least favorite part of your job? Okay, so my favorite part of my job, I get to do PR for our library. I have my master's degree in marketing, and that's what I love to do. I love creating content. I love doing web design. That's just by far my favorite. I love being able to explore these more creative aspects, and I love creating content for our social media pages. I like being able to use that side of my brain. Yeah. I imagine it's also really fun to see the direct effects from that, like seeing a post do well in spreading library message. Yeah, it's really fun. You know, our summer reading program in the past, our best uh, summer reading sign-up numbers ever was 130. And since I took over our marketing, public relations, and our summer reading program, this year we've had almost 500 people sign up. That's fantastic. So it was really gratifying to see some of these things that intellectually I thought would work actually work. So it's been really rewarding. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Prompt you for least favorite. (laughs) Okay. My least favorite part of my job is honestly driving the bookmobile. So I love... (laughs) The whole purpose of the bookmobile, I love what it's what it's doing for our community, and I think it's so important. But it's humongous, yeah. and it's just not my favorite part of my job. If I could uh, not have to drive the bookmobile, this would probably be, like, the perfect job for me. But if somebody else could just drive it around, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> Did you need a special license for it, or no, is it... it's small enough normal. that you don't have That's to have good. a CDL. Uh, otherwise, uh, I would... <laughs> I would never be able I would never be able to get my CDL. I'm a terrible driver. Oh no. <laughs> so if you uh, are driving around in the streets of Guernsey County, look out because uh the bo- I will be rolling through town uh in the big old bookmobile. It's pretty bright. I'm sure they'll see you. You'll see me coming. Yeah. Um coming down the road. Hello, listener. Are you listening to this podcast between July 11th and July 24th? If so, you're able to redeem a summer reading bonus badge. Go to muskinghamlibrary.beanstack.org and enter code LISTEN, all caps, to redeem bonus badge 4, which will enter you into a drawing for a bonus prize. That's LISTEN, L-I-S-T-E-N, all caps, by July 24th. I, I'm just going to say this out loud because I don't know if you will want to include this or not. Sarah told me earlier what the code was for Beanstack, and I wrote it down <laughs> so I would remember. And she told me it was LISTEN, all caps. And so I wrote down LISTEN in all lowercase and then wrote beside it, all caps. <laughs> you did. And uh, I really did. I did do that. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. After I did that, I realized it would have made a lot more sense. I could have just written it down in all capital letters, and I would have known that, but so. It made me a little nervous about people trying to put the code in on Beanstack instead of like typing it in all caps if they thought the code was less than all caps. <laughs> and they like it won't it won't redeem the reward if you type in all caps. But if you like, just type in the words all caps. But if you type in the word listen and the the letters are in all caps, then it will work. But if you write... But if you type in listen all caps as like one word or even as three words um it's not gonna work work for you guys (laughs) i'm sorry i thought that was kind of funny and um maybe it'll make the cut maybe it won't we'll see so i guess we will go ahead and transfer the show over talk about our rereads and our rewrites and our recommends did you have any sort of theme or anything you were considering when choosing books I did not have a theme. What I decided to do was to just think about what I've read most recently Mm -hmm. and frame it within, like, the chronological context of, like, what I've read um, in the past year. So that's where I got this from. So there's probably other things that I've read ever that I would like to reread, rewrite, or recommend, but these are the things I've read most recently that I think fit those categories the best. So that's my theme. Did you do a theme? I... I don't want to make you uncomfortable. My theme was I'm recording with Catherine. What books do I want to talk about with Catherine? No, that doesn't so make you, me feel you uncomfortable. Were my three, you were my theme. Oh, um, <laughs> that doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. The first two are very specifically books that I wanted to talk with you about. 
I've been saving my rewrite specifically for your episode. Well, I know what the book is. <laughs> um, I won't. I won't spoil it for our listeners until we get there. But I know what the book is, and I'm so glad that you saved it for this episode. <laughs> I thought you would enjoy I it. I enjoy it so much. <laughs> I enjoy it so much. I'm so glad that you did that. Well, as you are my guest, I will go ahead and let you go first. So, what are you rereading? Okay, I am rereading. Stamped from the Beginning by Ibram X. Kendi. I probably could have also thrown this into the recommend category because if you haven't picked it up already, please do. It's such an important read. The author shares so much of the history um, in the United States just of deep and systemic racism that it's an incredibly difficult book to read. And if you've never grappled with these issues before, and as you guys are listening to me speak, so you don't know this, but I'm a white cisgendered woman. And these are things that I've had the privilege to not address in my life. Reading about them was jarring and eye-opening and so important. We need to be aware of these things and that are happening in our country still right now. They're happening. Yeah. Uh, we like to pretend we're living in a post-racial society, and we're not. I mean, the author really takes the time to call out, you know, all of these places where white people and white European men have shaped history by putting the people around them down. Mm-hmm. And we, it needs to stop. It has to stop. It, it, this can't continue. And it's going to take more people learning about the history of our country and the learning about the history of racism in our country to actually make this change. It's important. And it's an important read. And I need to reread it because the content in the book is so dense and it's deep and, and it's emotional at times. And I need to reread it with a clearer head, I think. Now that I know what I'm getting into, I think I need to reread it and try to really absorb a lot of this information. So yeah, that's my reread. It wasn't anything that I particularly enjoyed, but I think it's really important and I need to reread it. I think it's especially important as things like critical race theory are beginning to be discussed and people are starting to make laws without understanding what that theory even is with all of the information coming out of Canada right now about the children being found at residential schools just in mass graves and they're opening investigation into United States residential schools now, which is good and I'm scared and horrified at what is going to be found. Absolutely. Yeah, just talking about decolonizing history and how history is viewed, I think is very important. And moving away from this revisionist history that so many of us have been taught and have believed for so long. And it's I think it's also incredibly important because we are no longer living in the immediate wake of George Floyd mm-hmm. and Breonna Taylor's murders and the powerful Black Lives Matter protests that happened last summer. We're now a year out from a lot of that exactly. stuff. And a lot of the activism that was happening then, you're not seeing so much of that now. Yeah, it's important that movements of social justice aren't just fads. It's very easy to say something in the moment and then being in a place of privilege when it no longer seems in vogue or as popular, just forgetting about it, being able to walk away from it because it's not something that affects you specifically on a daily basis. I mean, that's why I'm so glad that we're talking about this right now. A year later, I want to keep talking about it, keep reminding people that this is an issue. We can't just let this movement die. Real change needs to happen. Mm -hmm. I feel strongly that I should reread and that everybody should read Stamped from the Beginning or and or How to Be an Anti-Racist. Yeah, that's the one that I've read. I have a reading list of books that I want to read to help decolonize the way I view history. Um, I think that is very important. It, I've just been in a reading slump and I have not been able to pick things, anything up really recently. Right. I read How to Be an Anti-Racist. I read that at Tusk, so it had to have been at least two, maybe three years ago. Okay. Um, so that is the book by Ibram X. Kendi that I am familiar with. Was it a good read as well? I thought it was, yeah, definitely a good read. Another one that I'm going to need to reread. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all I had to say about that one. So what are you going to reread? Okay, so you brought something that was like really great and topical. Okay. Um, I'm going to be a basic white girl. (laughs) I'm going to talk about John Green. Um, (laughs) All right. (laughs) We're here for John Green too. Okay. (laughs) So my reread is The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. This is his most recent release, and it is a book of nonfiction essays. And it's called The Anthropocene Reviewed because all of those essays 
are structured as reviews. Basically, he takes aspects of the human-centered planet and reviews them on a five-star scale. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, it's so good. He is able to combine introspection with history and then, like, combine all of that to, like, make social commentary on the human condition. That's so interesting. It's so good. But a lot of the essays that are in the book were originally essays that aired on the podcast. There are some that were written specifically for the book. Okay. And all of the essays kind of have been reworked. He worked on the book a lot during COVID. Okay. So a lot of these essays, when they were on the podcast, it was 2018, 2019. So they got kind of like a rewrite. So you get COVID introspection along with the history and the memoir aspects of it as well. Wow, that's really interesting. It's really great. I feel as though the way he laid it out probably has some sort of greater significance that I'm not picking up on um, because it's not the same as the way like chronologically it is on the podcast. Like okay. he's very intentional about, about which essays go gotcha. where. Okay. And I'm not smart enough to pick it up on my first read through. So oh, well. <laughs> we'll get it. There are also essays that I like better than other ones. I recommend reading it front to back all the way through. But if you're rereading and you have favorites, you can just reread that chapter and not miss out. So here are my three favorite essays. Okay. Mostly from the podcast, but also very great in the book as well. Okay. So my third favorite is his um, review of Googling Strangers. Uh, Well. Is something he's apparently very good at. How many stars does that get? Oh, gosh. Off the top of my head, I believe it was four. I think that's a good rating. Yeah. I do love Googling Strangers. When I talk about favorites, a lot of times these make me cry. So John Green originally went to ministry school. And so he had to do um, a stint in the children's hospital. Okay. And so he talks and reflects a lot on his time in the children's hospital and why he was unable to complete his chaplaincy because of like his experiences in children's hospital so like he talks about that and then he talks a little bit like about the history of like searching for people on the internet and um so that one's really good and it always makes me cry okay um my second favorite is humanity's temporal range okay (laughs) which is very fun yeah um the temporal range of a species is just how long that they are on the planet right humans temporal range like 300,000 years and counting, and how that's a very short temporal range, uh, like if you compare it to other animals. Right. And how our temporal range has the novelty of ending a lot of other animals' temporal ranges. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> it's jarring, really, it yeah. how much we've changed our planet mm-hmm. in the short amount of time that humans have been on this earth. And actually, what's even more jarring is how much we've changed this planet just since you know, the Industrial Revolution. Oh, for sure. Think about the last 25 years and just how much has changed. Insane. Yeah. Uh, It is insane, the -hmm. damage that we've done to this planet. Yeah, it's not great. So yeah, that one is another essay that really stuck with me. And my favorite one is his essay on Auld Lang Syne. Oh. Yeah, it's so good. It's right in the feels every time, isn't it? I don't, have you listened to that episode? No. Okay, I'll have to send that to you. Yeah, please do. This is going to, I'm going to talk about the first time I've listened to this episode because I've listened to the podcast episode. I listened to it on New Year's Eve and then I've listened to it every New Year's Eve since it came out. Oh my gosh. Um, Okay. So the first time I listened to it, it was not New Year's Eve. It was January 2nd, I think. And I was driving home from my parents' house. It was really late. I want to say like one in the morning. Okay. So at the end of the essay, this essay, the way it's set up is. Um, John talks about like the history of Auld Lang Syne and like Lord Byron kind of writing the modern version okay. despite it it having um like some history as like a traditional Scottish heir. So it switches between that and um John's friendship with a writer in Chicago. So it flashes back and forth between like the history of the song and then like John's history with Amy. Okay. Um, at the end of the essay, Amy used to do like speaking events. She was a writer um, and she would do speaking events. And at those speaking events, she would take Old Link Sign and do like the World War One version of it that they used to do. The we're here because we're here because we're here because we're here. 
Okay. And like at the end, he invites you like just to sing it with him. Oh. And so like you have me. The feels. Yeah. You have me like sobbing, driving down 77 South at one in the morning on an empty stretch of highway. Who has it? Like just sobbing, singing along to this song. And even though like you're alone in the car and you're alone on an empty stretch of highway. You're like, you're singing with John Green and you're singing with Amy and you're also singing with every other person who is saying along to that podcast, even though in that moment you were singing alone. Oh, I think I might cry to sing. It gets me every time. I love it so I, much. That just reminded me of Joe Biden's inauguration when Garth Brooks sang, he sang Amazing Grace and towards the end of the song invited everybody, people there in Washington, D.C. and the people listening at home to sing along. And I was singing along in my car as I was driving and I just started like crying actual tears despite, you know, not being religious and not Amazing Grace not holding that significance for me. Thinking about all of the people that were singing along in that moment so it was by myself but not by myself so yeah. the same thing the, the same, same feeling thing. Not... it's like feeling connected with other people yeah. another really interesting thing about um the anthropocene reviewed that i think lends itself really well to reread is that the text version and the audiobook version are slightly different. Oh, that's neat. Um, so I like that. He has a couple of visual things in the text version that wouldn't have translated well to podcast or audio. Okay. But the audiobook version has audio stuff to make up for the lack of text stuff. Gotcha. I'm not sure if it's a completely different essay or if it's um like different rewordings in the addition of sound in the audiobook version. I haven't read the audiobook version yet. But I love that. I love when authors or publishers make edits that make the content make sense based exactly. on the delivery method. Yeah. Because sometimes it's just like, this does not translate well to this format and you should have made changes. So mm -hmm. I love that they did that. And John Green reads the audiobook himself. Oh, which is so always, that's nice. always I always love it when the <laughs> author reads the audio. So yeah, definitely pick up the Anthropocene Reviewed if you want to feel some sort of way about humanity if you want to feel something <laughs> if you're out there if you're just out here trying to feel something then then pick it up like i'm not one for feeling my feelings so that i'm recommending this book to help is weird uh, yeah sometimes you got to feel your feelings though yeah you got to feel them i'm bad at it I'll, I'll do my best i'll just reread this book i'll let john green feel my feelings for me yeah john green tell me how to feel please thank you i appreciate it here we go. All right. So that is my reread. Let's go ahead and move on to our rewrites. All right. So the rewrite that I brought with me today is The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle. I'm not sure if that's how it's pronounced. In the audiobook, they pronounce it Evelyn. It's oh, interesting. spelled Evelyn. It is spelled Evelyn. When you told me it was a seven somethings of an Evelyn, I thought you were going to do the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And I would never rewrite the seven I husbands know. of Evelyn I'm Hugo. I know. I'm like, that's interesting. You love that book. I love that book so much. <laughs> Actually, the book, this book was released right around the same time as... I remember there being several Evelyn books all at once. In the UK, this was released as the seven deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, but for the US release, they required the author to change the name because it was too similar to The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Interesting. Um, so the book is set in an old manor and you find out, you wake up, or the main character wakes up in the woods, confused. He doesn't know who he is, doesn't know what's happening. And over the course of the novel, he finds out that every day he's going to wake up possessing the body of a different person living in the house. Oh. And he's tasked with solving the murder of Evelyn Hardcastle. It's sort of like Groundhog Day meets Clue. Okay. Because he keeps reliving the same day over and over again yeah. for seven days. And he's supposed to solve the murder of Evelyn Hardcastle. And if he can solve the murder by the end of the seventh day, then he would get to leave the house. But if he doesn't solve the murder by the end of the seventh day, he starts over again at the beginning, not knowing who he is. Interesting. And he's apparently done this many times before you find out over the course of this book. And there's other people there trying to solve the murder. And he doesn't know who they are or what bodies they're possessing. And and he's supposed to try to figure out, like, put all of these puzzle pieces together. I thought this concept was so interesting. That is very interesting, yeah. However, it gets really confusing. There's oh, like yeah. some, it's like sort of a time travel element. There's a lot of characters. And then at the end of the book, this is a spoiler, heads up, everybody. Yes. Spoiler. Um, if you do not want to be spoiled, please jump ahead 30 seconds or a minute. 
Yeah, so at the end of the book, you find out that this manor and this cycle that he's living in is actually a prison. Oh. That there's like a prison guard who's been watching him and kind of helping him solve the murder. And I just felt like that was such a weird choice. That is like, a very strange twist. Like, I, I loved the whole concept of the book, except for the fact that it was a prison. Oh. That kind of makes it uncomfy. It does. Yeah. And he's serving time. There's another character in the book. Her name is Anna. Your main character bonds with Anna and helps her to solve the murder. They solve it together and they're both going to walk out of this prison. And you find out in the book that she's actually a mass murderer. Oh, God. And it feels really icky. Yeah. I'm not. A, I, don't, I don't think I like that. I didn't like it. No. I didn't like that. It like I got to that twist towards the end of the book. And you find out, like, the sort of the engine that was driving the plot this whole time as to, like, why this was happening. I didn't like it. Like, I thought it was going to be something supernatural or whatever. Like, I don't know what I thought was driving the plot, but I didn't think it was that. And I didn't like that. So I loved the concept of this book, but if it was me, I would rewrite it and I would change that. Fantasy exists. I feel like you don't even need an explanation for why it's happening. Yeah. You bought the concept when you started the book. Exactly. I bought the concept and I didn't need you to sell it to me with this weird thing that actually colors the whole book differently for me. Yeah. I'm yeah. not a big fan of time travel books, just in general. It's right. not my favorite thing. You know, and I actually want to change my comment about what this It's more like Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not, not Clue. Murder on the Orient Express, because he's, like, trying to pick off people, pick up on little clues, and yeah, so. And it sounds contained. Like, one of the things that makes Murder on the Orient Express kind of unique and one of the first mysteries to do that is it's contained to the train. Right. Um, this sounds like it's very much contained to that manner. Exactly. It's, it's very small set-wise. Exactly. I guess I didn't even make that connection, but absolutely. It's not really a fair play mystery. And being that it's time travel and it's fantasy elements, I don't know if I would call this fantasy exactly. It does not, doesn't really fit that. I'm not sure what category I would put this in, but... That's fair. Yeah, so like there's a twist at the end um, about the murder. It wasn't really fair play. So because in a fair play mystery, like you're really able to figure it out. And it's one of the people that mm -hmm. is in the story and there's clues yeah. that lead you to that conclusion. That's my preferred type of mystery yeah. is like a fair play. Mystery. Yeah, this wasn't a fair play mystery um, because Evelyn Hardcastle, who dies in the book, is actually not even Evelyn Hardcastle. Oh. So that's another little twist. But yeah, that's my book that I would rewrite. I really liked the concept. I really enjoyed the book and I really did enjoy a lot of the twists and turns throughout the whole story. I wasn't a fan of how the author tied it together at the end. So That's fair. Yeah, I think the author made some weird choices that I would have changed. But anyway, that's my rewrite. What did you bring today for your Oh, rewrite? you know what I brought today. Oh, uh, I do know what you brought today. I forgot. Yes. You know who doesn't know? Listener doesn't know. Listener doesn't know. Get ready, listener. Okay, listener. So here's something that you don't know. And that thing is that I have a book that I hate. This is something that you could have known. I've mentioned the book I hate to other people on the podcast. And I've cut it every time because... <laughs> you were saving it. I cut it every time because I thought it wasn't fair for me to just like reference and passing the book I hate. It's not fair. And you know what? You and I have talked about this book so many times that it, it would have been blasphemous for you to discuss it on any other episode. <laughs> so this is perfect. So the book I am rewriting is called Riverkeep, and it is by Martin Stewart. Full disclosure, I have not read this entire book. <laughs> I have it in my hands right now after swearing that I would never see it again. But that's just my dedication to you, listener. I checked out this book that I hate this book is pretty much about a river. <laughs> I quit at around 40% and I love myself too much to ever go back to it. So I did not read it for you. I apologize. But this book is pretty much about a boy named William and his... Wait, wait. What's his name? William. Wh with, it's William, but with a U. <laughs> I really... we'll, we'll talk about the naming scheme, I promise. Okay. And him and his father, they live kind of away from the town and they are river keeps, which basically means that their job is to kind of maintain the river, like they're supposed to break ice on the river. And the river is pretty treacherous and dangerous. So they're also kind of like the funeral people. They like pull bodies out of the river and like care to them and like preserve them and try to find their families or whatever. So the book kind of starts 
with William's father disappearing. They pull out a drowned man and then like his father and the drowned man disappear or something. So the book is kind of about William going on a journey, leaving the only house that he's ever known, wandering off down the river in search of his father. And then there's also something about like a river monster that is a problem. So <laughs> I'm not going to explain it better than that because I don't know it better than that. And I don't recommend you read this book. So what, what what did you hate about this book so much? Okay. So I think the first thing that we should probably talk about is the naming scheme. Okay. Simply because I've already mentioned it. And um, you said yeah. the name William out yeah. loud and people need to know. We, the people need answers. <laughs> This is like a high fantasy book. Um, the world is completely made up. There's a map in the front. But it's one of those high fantasy books where instead of naming your characters normal names or like fully committing to like high fantasy naming scheme, they take normal names and just change one letter and call it a fantasy name, which is very distracting. Our main character, William, W-U-L-L-I-A-M, Wool for short is infuriating that is infuriating um, i've never heard a name that felt more awkward it's to- so awkward like it's hard to read like it looks weird when you're reading it it sounds weird when you're saying doesn't it doesn't feel right at all and just yeah the naming scheme in this is a little difficult i think william is kind of the most egregious i hate that trend in fantasy yeah there's like an emory but instead of being emory with two e's it's e-m-o-r-y okay which isn't as bad so another thing that makes this a difficult read it makes it a difficult thing to talk about is it's one of those books that writes out the accent so instead of telling you that wool because he is kind of an outsider and like he doesn't grow up around people has like a bit of an accent but he writes it out the entire book so there's a lot of apostrophes in some stretches it's so hard that if you aren't trying to read it phonetically out loud you just can't do it or i couldn't do it i don't like that i don't like that at all no i'm not sure if it's better on audio but like i'm sure it's not (laughs) i feel really bad for whoever had to read this for the audiobook and like had to struggle through all of those like super phonetic really weird accent parts so those are the two things that just make it kind of difficult to read in general so now let's touch on some of the plot stuff okay (laughs) that i all right the first thing that i want to talk about setup wise is that at the beginning of every chapter he does world building it's italicized it's kind of like a header for the thing But they are never less than a paragraph long. They're so long. The most egregious one that I came to when I was reading it was three and a half pages long. What? Like italicized pre-chapter thing. Okay, but if you're going to do that much world building, you need to build that into your book, not just like add a note about it. And that's not even a note. No. That's almost a chapter. It's almost a chapter on its own. Again, I didn't finish this, so maybe all of it comes back. But at the time I quit... None of it was relevant to our story. Is this, is this young adult? Yes, this is a YA. I cannot believe that three pages of world building in a young adult novel. That's insane. I looked online before I came here. This thing has like a 3.5. Really? There are people like me who hate it. Yeah. It's a very divisive book. If you look through the Goodreads reviews, you, you either love really it. loved it or you did not like it at all. So yeah, that was painful. And again, more fantasy words. I'm normally okay with fantasy words, but I don't know if I was just being unkind because of the William thing, but I didn't. (laughs) You were already struggling. I was already struggling. I didn't like the um, fantasy words that he picked. Another thing that I disliked about this is the river is inconsistent with how it flows. This I ranted to you about, um, where they go downstream, like they're talking about a point downstream and then they're like, and then the body floated past the house. Like it couldn't have floated past the house. The house is like four miles upstream from where this body (laughs) entered the river. Make any sense. That's not how rivers work. Like, excuse me, you're supposed to be keeping this river and you don't understand how one works? Like, doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's not consistent. It flows apparently both ways. And the author doesn't even try to keep track on his own map. Like, it flows both ways in whatever way is convenient to the plot in that moment. Exactly. 
you may not notice this if you're just reading for fun, but as I said, around chapters two, started reading unkindly. You started reading, um, looking for things to pick apart. <laughs> yeah. And once you notice, you can't unnotice it. It happens several times. A good portion of this book that I read uh-huh. was wool in the boat, like trying to make it to the bay. They could just float downstream if they wanted to. Yeah, that's another thing that just makes the way this flows even weirder. Also, Wool is super whiny and awful. Maybe he's just lamenting that his name is Wool. And that his dad's gone. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. His dad being gone is tough. But I mean, your name will be Wool forever. Sorry. You could shorten it to Liam and then I wouldn't have to deal. Let's call him Liam. I mean, I would, but the the book calls him Wool. Yeah, but I think we should call him Liam now. I'll get confused if I do that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, Liam was right there. It was right there. It was, it was so right close. There. So I know I've told you this part too, and I'm sure you'll remember it. Every fourth or so chapter is not about wool. It's about like some other thing, uh, some other person. And you don't know who this guy is, but he's like a crook. And he's always like robbing people and being nuisance. People are like, why are you doing this to us, you evil person? And then the, the guy's like, I'm not a person. And, like, everyone's like, we don't believe you, you terrible person. Um, and it's... It's all coming <laughs> She remembers. I complain I... about this all the time. <laughs> yeah, so um, you, you don't quite understand why this guy is so insistent that he's not a person. <laughs> like, he tells you he's made of straw, which, yeah, okay, cool. He's a golem or something. This is what made me stop reading the book. We're 40% in um, this character, whose name I can't remember, finally meets Wool. And Wool asks him why he's blue. (laughs) So 40% into this book, you realize this random character that you've been reading about is blue. He doesn't have skin. He has blue fabric. He's literally like a giant poppet. He's a blue fabric man stuffed with straw. And no one believes him when he says he's not human. He's blue, guys. And I just want to preface that by saying none of the other characters in this novel, like, are even people of color. Like, there's no one but white people in this book, except for this blue man. It is. It is I think that is an important distinction. It's a fantasy novel, so you never know. You never know. And it's a fantasy novel. Like, there could be all sorts of crazy things. But no, no like, other characters is, are blue. This book is exclusively white guys and a blue straw man (laughs) anyway i think that was the final straw for me like i was struggling through it i'm like maybe this will get more interesting i think the size of whatever river monster this is is too big for the river it's supposed to be in but i can ignore that rivers don't flow two directions but i can ignore that you were um, trying to suspend his I was belief. trying so hard. But yeah, finding out that that character was sewn of blue fabric, <laughs> um, it really just it was killed the whole thing for me. That, that it was the, the straw that, that made me throw it across the room and say never again. But anyway, the cover is gorgeous, which is why I picked it up. And I'm just really disappointed that it was so bad. I don't even care how it ended. Like, if you've read it and you know how it ends, like, you can tell me if you want to. Email me, outreach at muskinghamlibrary.org. I could have spoiled it. I could have looked it up on Goodreads, but I didn't. But if you want to do that work for me, feel free. Yeah. So this is the book I hate. Um, Never read it or read it. Like, don't, don't let me tell you what to do. Do what you need to do. Do, do what you must. Do what you have to do. But Sarah does not recommend. All right. So that was my rewrite. I guess we will go on to recommends. What did you bring for a recommend? Okay, so my recommend is The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. Ooh. It is set at kind of a sleazy roadside motel, and it's bouncing back and forth between two timelines, one in the 80s and one in present day. In present day, you're following Carly, who is researching and looking into the disappearance of her aunt in the 80s. Her aunt worked at the Sundown Motel, and so Carly, after the death of her mom, decides that she's going to go figure out what happened to her Aunt Viv. Oh, fun. So she goes to this town, and she actually takes a job working at the Sundown Motel. And then you bounce back to Viv in the 80s, working at the Sundown Motel. And there is supernatural activity at the hotel 
and it, this whole thing kind of unfolds as you you're you're following Viv in the 80s as she's experiencing this and she's uncovering the secrets of the hotel and then you're also seeing Carly experience a lot of the same things and at the end of the okay. book uh Carly finally understands what happened to her aunt Ugh. It's really good. It sounds really good. It was really interesting. There was like a couple little parts that I thought like, oh, the you know, maybe well, nothing can be perfect. No content of is course, exactly no. what you hope it would be. But the, the book was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. It was a fast read, which for me, that's what I prefer. I don't generally tend to gravitate towards really long and dense content. So some, this was a pretty quick read and uh, I really recommend it. So yeah, nice. the sun I'll have down to pick it up. This is my preferred format. I'm not a big time travel person. But give me simultaneous timelines. Dual timelines. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I can hold that in my head a little bit better. I, can, I think I can too. I yeah. like it more. Yeah, that sounds really fun. Yeah, it is. It's really interesting. And Is it kind of like a mystery as it's, well? It's kind or? of a mystery. It's it's supernatural. Um, nice. And you find out why these ghosts are clinging to the hotel um, and it's related to a person. Okay. And um, you're seeing Viv try to solve some murders in the 80s, and then she does. Ooh, good for her. Go, girl. And then you see Carly trying to solve her aunt's disappearance in, in the present day, and she also does. So, Yay. Yeah. It's kind of written for those people who, you know, really enjoy true crime and enjoy reading about and thinking about and trying to solve cold cases. It's kind yeah. of like, you know, it's a book for, for all of those people that, you know, really enjoy those kinds of things. So I do. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. That sounds really fun. Yeah. I really liked it. So what did you bring then? So yeah, my recommend is something completely different. And it is The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. This is a high fantasy, and it's really good. I thought you might find it interesting, okay. but it airs a lot of it. Okay. So it might be a little too compact yeah, I don't. You, I don't. And, but, well, and I don't read a lot of high fantasy either. It's not a genre I gravitate towards, yeah. but I'm interested. I'm intrigued. Yeah. So this is a really good high fantasy for history people. Ooh, okay. Basically, our main character, her name is Rin, and she is a peasant girl in the south of this empire called um, Nikan. Basically, Nikan mirrors China. Okay. And um, we're looking at the wars between China and Japan. This is very heavily influenced by like Japan coming and like colonizing China okay. and like the back and forth there. Rin is an orphan and she ends up in indentured servitude to this family in the south of this country and they're kind of awful to her and she's at an age where she can get married and they're like oh thank god we don't have to take care of you anymore oh. like let's marry you off so you're not our problem anymore nice um and Rin does not want that for obvious reasons right. so she ends up taking this test which is looking for like strategic minds to come and enter the military school. Rin is super smart and she pretty much teaches like herself to read so that she can go and take this test. Wow. Like she does some really intensive studying and she gets the highest level in the country. Wow. So she gets accepted into this military school. It's called Synagard. So we follow her to school and being like a dark-skinned peasant girl from the south of the country, she doesn't fit in with a lot of these really privileged preppy people who have come from money and have been training to go to this school for their entire lives. Right. So we kind of see her struggle and fight and eventually succeed in the school. And it's really interesting and I love it a lot. And I think one of my favorite things about this particular high fantasy series is... A lot of times when you're following like a student to school in preparation for a war you know is coming, you have a lot of buildup mm -hmm. to that war. Right. In this book, maybe a third of the way through, the war breaks out. Like, oh my gosh, we're in war. I guess you guys are graduated now. Go save our country. Oh, so that's a really different take. It's really interesting. Yeah. So you have three books. The war breaks out in the middle of the first one. And now you're seeing these kids. They're essentially still kids trying to take leadership roles in this military and stop the colonization of their country. Wow. It's really good. It's, it's a fantasy novel. And it's not just fantasy because 
like it's set in a fantasy world but there is this um like kind of shaman style practice that goes into the warfare where certain people can be like vessels for gods and wield godlike power oh my and rin is one of those people the chosen deity that like the deity that chose her is like one of like the really powerful scary ones and so like you're struggling along with her to try to like balance out like where do i start where does this being of chaos and destruction stop like if i'm able to wield this power like am i also that like wrestling with a lot of the pain and the death and the trauma that comes along with war right anyway it's so good it's a three book series i have only read book one but i did check out books one and two to reference for this (laughs) podcast i need to reread book one and then go through the rest of the series that's another thing if you're looking for a fantasy series and you don't want to have to wait for the next book Book three came out this year, so it is completed. So if you want to just binge a fantasy series, highly recommend this one. It is really good. The world building is fantastic. Book one came out in 2018, and it was lauded as probably the best fantasy of the year. Oh, wow. I would probably list it up with the best fantasy of the decade. It is oh my fantastic but anyway this is um i think her name is rebecca i need to just stop calling authors by their first names as if i know them yeah but this is her debut novel and the fact that she is able just to put so much history and world building oh my gosh it's so good yeah like that in a really, debut that sounds really great oh she's great i have to pick that up I thought you would. I don't know how much about the history of China, you know. Not that but, much, but um, I, I do enjoy learning. I, I always like when I can read fiction that I enjoy that also encourages me to expand my knowledge, like my real world knowledge of a topic. So, um, you know, reading this fantasy, if that encourages me to learn more about, you know, Chinese uh, history, then that's cool. So that's my recommend, guys. Um, the Poppy War should definitely pick it up we have it at muskingum now because i told them to buy it (laughs) (laughs) so they did because they're really nice all right well thank you so much for coming on thank you for having me on i'm so glad that i got to be your very first guest from outside the muskingum county public library system and you know hopefully we can do it again sometime we definitely should i'm there's so much in libraries to talk about and we could ramble about anything Um, really yeah uh, (laughs) at this point we're at almost two two hours of recorded content and almost three hours since you got here. (laughs) All right. And thank you listener for listening all the way to the end. I appreciate you. I will be back next month with more books to talk about. If you have any questions or if you would like to submit your own reset of books, please email me at outreach at muskingumlibrary.org and we may read them on the pod. You can find more info about MCLS at muskingumlibrary.org. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps new listeners find the show. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.